Well, today we begin our ghost town series on location here at San Marcel. And I wanted to film this series on location at ghost towns throughout New Mexico for two reasons. Number one, ghost towns are cool. The idea that a society existed for a time and a reason and a specific place and then disappeared completely, it's so fascinating. And the stories, they're full of rich history of our state and our region. But the second reason I think it's so necessary to film this teaching series in a ghost towns is that I think the way most churches and most Christians approach the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is just as dead as these ghost towns. See, I think there seems to be two general approaches to the Holy Spirit's activity and work in churches and in Christian lives. One approach is that the working and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they existed for a time in the early church, kind of to get the church started, almost like a shot of five-hour energy to keep the church moving. But they ceased at some point, and they aren't to be experienced or practiced today. In other words, the Holy Spirit's role was for a time and for a place, but not for you or me or our church anymore. It sounds pretty dead to me. The other approach is the approach that I grew up with and the, the approach that I spent a good chunk of my life around when it came to churches. And it's, it's the approach that focuses on one single gift of the Spirit or focuses on one single aspect of the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. See, for, for most churches, that looks like focusing on the Holy Spirit as the giver of spiritual gifts. And for a lot of the Pentecostal churches that I have been around in my entire life, it really focuses on one specific gift called the speaking in tongues, which by the way, it just the, just the thought of speaking in tongues freaks some people out and it gets other people really excited and gives them goosebumps. Now, the specific gift can be different things. It, it could be tongues, it could be prophecy, it could be the gift of healing, but the gravitational pull for churches and for believers is to zero in on that singular gift-giving role of the Spirit of God, and then to focus on one single gift. And I would argue that while that looks spiritually active, that approach is just about as dead as an approach that says, that says the Holy Spirit's activity isn't for today. Both normal approaches are just as dead as these ghost towns. And here's why I say that. As New Testament Christ followers, Jesus promised, the apostles taught, and the church modeled that the Holy Spirit, this third person in the Trinity, was supposed to be a living, active part of daily life for those who were following Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not just a yesterday thing, he's a today thing, a here and now thing. And to experience the fullness of a Spirit-filled life, we can't limit the work of the Holy Spirit to just a single part or the things that get us excited or the things that we've experienced in the past so we're comfortable with. We have to understand the roles that the Holy Spirit wants to play in our lives and embrace the work that He wants to do in and through us. So, for the next few weeks, we're gonna spend some time in ghost towns just like this, learning how to understand the work that the Holy Ghost wants to do by living and being active in all of us. Now, as I said earlier, to, earlier today we're in what was once known as San Marcel, about 30 miles south of Socorro. 
It was founded in 1854 by Pasquale Hoyla, who established a community here to sell produce and firewood to nearby Fort Conrad. 12 years later, in 1866, flooding from the Rio Grande completely wiped out that original settlement, so the townspeople decided to relocate to the other side of the Rio Grande. So they rebuilt, only to have a massive fire destroy their rebuilt town in 1881. Talk about some bad luck, or a stroke of really good luck. When the ATNSF Railroad came through the area in the early 1880s, San Marcel residents were still rebuilding and they decided to rebuild their community near the rail lines, which provided incredibly good fortune for the town. As surrounding communities suffered and struggled for various reasons, San Marcel blossomed into the second largest city in Socorro County with a booming population of 1,500 residents. The area flourished not only because of the proximity to the railroad, complete with a Harvey House Hotel and restaurant staffed by the infamous Harvey Girls, but also because of its proximity to the Rio Grande, it became a great place to own a farm, to grow produce, and then send it out by rail. Now, the town had an incredibly exciting, bright future ahead of it until one night in August 1929. After three consecutive days of extremely heavy rains in Socorro County, the Rio Grande was overflowing its banks when the first bit of disaster struck to the north in Santa Acacia. A highway bridge gave way, sending a five-foot flood through the town, destroying homes, orchards, and all of the valley crops. The Socorro chieftain at the time recorded that the water was spread out on both sides of the railroad three miles from bank to bank. Luckily, because of telegraph workers for the ATNSF Railroad, the flood that surprised San Acacia did not surprise the people of San Marcel. The ATNSF Railroad sent numerous trains to the area from El Paso to evacuate people using the roundhouse for quickly turning engines around for the trip back south. The city was underwater with houses and crops destroyed, but not a single life, amazingly, was lost. Unfortunately, the town's fate was sealed just a month later when another three days of extreme rains hit the county, while the previous floodwaters still remained. Accounts tell that the floodwaters rose into the second story of existing buildings due to this second flood. Miles and miles of railroad tracks were wiped out and destroyed, and just a month later, the AT and SF Railroad relocated all of its workers to Belen, Albuquerque, and El Paso, and suddenly, the largest employer in the city was gone. A few residents, primarily farmers, eventually returned to attempt a rebuild, but the area was finally completely wiped out by the flood of 1937 that sent 35,000 cubic feet of water per minute through the Socorro Valley. San Marcel's story is ultimately being stripped away and stripped away and stripped away until very little remained. And that, oddly enough, leads us to the first role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and perhaps, and probably, the one that we're most uncomfortable with. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 16. He said, but now I am going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve, you're sad, because of what I've told you. He said, but in fact, it's best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate, or another translation's comforter or encourager, won't come. If I do go away, then I'll send him to you. Now, it is a bold statement by Jesus to say that it's better for us 
that he would go away. That somehow it could be better for physical, in the flesh, in our face God to depart from people. But Jesus knew he wasn't going away without a replacement. He was going away so that instead of God existing in front of us, the spirit of God would actually reside in us. And then Jesus went on to describe what this encourager, comforter, advocate would do in us and for us. Verse 8, he said this, And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. He said, The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. So here's the first role of the Holy Spirit. The first role of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit brings godly conviction into our lives. Here's what this means. When we come to faith in Christ, we come with so much baggage, so much selfishness in our thinking, so much self-centeredness in our relationships with others, so much pride in our hearts, so many habits that are actually destructive to ourselves and those around us. There's, there's so much that's broken. There's so much of the world in us that actually stands opposed to what Jesus wants for us. And for us to experience the things that God has for us, something has to raise our awareness of the things that stand opposed to God's plans in our thinking and our behavior and slowly or quickly work to strip all of that away so that God can have his way. And the Holy Spirit does that for us. The Holy Spirit raises our awareness of the areas in our lives and thoughts and behavior and relationships where we still have work to do. Now, you, you, you might argue that that sounds like guilt, and I would say that you might be, be right, but I love what author Brene Brown says. There's a world of difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is feeling bad about what you've done or what you're doing. Shame is feeling condemnation about who you are. So here's what I would say. The Holy Spirit will leverage guilt, an awareness momentarily of the weight of our actions, our relational habits, and the thought patterns that drive both of those, but he'll never leverage shame. I love this old quote that I found, and I, I couldn't figure out who it was originally attributed to, but the author wrote this, conviction, conviction from the Holy Spirit will always point out something specific that you can and should change. Condemnation from the enemy is either vague guilt or something that you can't justify correctly. Always respond, and they said this, always respond to conviction and reject condemnation. I love that line. Respond to conviction, reject condemnation. So here's the question. How do we do that? How do we properly respond to conviction when the Holy Spirit brings it? We say, Holy Spirit, please bring on your conviction in my life. I won't run from it. I may try to fight it, but give me the strength to hear what you speak and courage to act on what you reveal to me. And I think it begins with paying attention to the three things Jesus said the Holy Spirit would bring conviction around sin, right living, and judgment. Let's start with sin because, well, Jesus started there. None of us like to talk about our sin. None of us really like to even think about our sin. And certainly, none of us like the idea of being confronted by our sin. Billy Graham put it this way, Man seeks to excuse himself of sin, but God seeks to convict him of it and to save him from it. Sin is no amusing toy. It is a terror to be shunned. Learn then what constitutes sin in the eyes 
of God. See, here's the thing. Sin is a big deal. Sin is a big deal to God because sin breaks people and it breaks connection with him. That's true on a worldwide scale, but it's also true on a personal level. See, your sin and my sin is a big deal to God because your sin breaks you. And God loves you too much to be unconcerned with something that breaks you. And God loves you too much to be unconcerned with something that keeps you from connection with him. So here's the thing. You know that in you, like I know that in me, there is still stuff that we all struggle with. That no matter how long you've been following Jesus, you still, like me, you still have areas where you struggle with your desires versus God's desires for you. Maybe, maybe it's your mouth. Maybe it's a struggle for honesty. Maybe it's a struggle with being kind to people who disagree with you. Maybe you frequently fail to love people that you consider your enemies. Maybe as a husband, you're not always loving to your wife. Maybe as a wife, you're not always respectful to your husband. Maybe it's possible that as a single person, you're all too willing to settle for something now rather than wait for the right thing later. I don't, I don't know what it is for you, but if it's breaking you, I know that it's breaking God's heart. And if it's breaking you and it's breaking God's heart, God wants to deal with it through the conviction that the Holy Spirit can bring in you. So lean in. Don't run from the conviction, even if it feels like guilt for a moment. When you run, it accomplishes nothing. But when you lean in, it invites God's grace and power and strength. And as Charles Spurgeon once said, when we deal seriously with our sins, God will deal gently with us. Let's invite the conviction of our sin. It's pain for a moment that leads to experiencing God's grace and strength to overcome what breaks us. Next, let's talk about right living. Right living means something that is no longer a sin issue. But here's what you know. As Jesus followers, we've never been called to the low bar of, is that a sin or not? We have a higher calling, every single one of us. Jesus said as his followers, we are to be the salt of the earth, preserving everything good and to be the light of the world, providing light in the darkness. The conviction toward right living simply means that sometimes we need to be confronted with the fact that we are better than we are currently behaving, that we have more to offer the world than we are currently giving, and that just because we've come a long ways doesn't mean we don't have further to grow. This could mean that while you're really, really, really good at loving people 92% of the time in your life, God is calling you to love more. He's calling you to love higher. He's calling you to go to 93 and 94 and eventually 100% of the people in your life. It might mean that where you have a tendency to leave out embarrassing details in the stories that you tell, God raises awareness of that in you and you become more and more a person who tells the whole story, becoming a person who can be trusted at his word. It might mean that you love Jesus a whole bunch around church and around your family, but when you get around your coworkers, your faith gets put on a shelf and it's time that you carry Jesus into your workplace as you do other places. So if you're ready to go there, here's the question that invites this kind of conviction. Holy Spirit, am I living up to the calling that God has placed on me? Does my life back up the things that I say I believe? Am I consistent in being the man or woman that I'm called to be? And Holy Spirit, wherever I'm not living up to it, wherever I'm not consistent, wherever my life doesn't look like what I say I believe, make me aware of it and help me to grow.
That's how the Holy Spirit leads us toward right living. Finally, let's talk about judgment. Conviction of our judgment has to deal with the decisions that we make. See, earlier I mentioned the Harvey house and the Harvey girls, which I had never heard of until Alexandra's help over the last few weeks. When she first talked to me about the Harvey girls, all I could picture was like a girl's version of the Harvey boys books that I grew up reading. Uh, not exactly what she was talking about. See, Fred Harvey he was an English immigrant who saw how bad the customer service and food provision were in railroad towns throughout the Southwest. And he had a vision for bringing quality customer service, food, and lodging to the rail line of the AT&SF Railroad. So he began building hotels and restaurants on the rail line. It was a great idea he had to work with the rail lines to provide good, good quality food that people could enjoy during their quick stops. It was a good idea, but later he exercised some great judgment. Originally, as in most businesses at the time, Fred Harvey hired only men to work in his hotels and his restaurants to prepare food and to serve guests. But after a short time dealing with the, with the wild men of the wild, wild west, especially one drunken night in Raton where his entire crew got in a brawl with each other and no one showed up for work the next morning, Fred Harvey had a change of mind. He decided, decided to hire only women to work in his restaurants and hotels. He, he, he posted notices back east in the U.S. looking for quality women ages 18 to 30, which is what some of you are looking for, to bring quality and manners to the West. It worked incredibly well. To quote one author, men mined and built the West. These women settled the West. These women did incredible things, including during the great flood of 1929, Harvey girls right here in San Marshall evacuated people to the top of the Harvey house to be spared from the floodwaters, saving many lives. That's above and beyond the job description and anything expected of you. That's the kind of thing Fred Harvey and the Harvey girls did on a regular basis. Here's what Fred Harvey did. He saw the future that he wanted to build and made the best decisions that he could to build that future. Now, when we talk about conviction in our judgment and decision-making, we're not really talking about those decisions, but we're talking about a similar focus, that every one of us will face a judgment by God that's to come. So here's the final question. In light of eternity, am I using wise judgment today? And Holy Spirit, if there's any way that I'm not, and there probably will be, please make me aware of it so that I can use better judgment in light of eternity in light of what Jesus has done for me, in light of the relationship that God wants to have with me. Now, here's why this matters so much. Unlike this ghost town where things were stripped away and stripped away and stripped away until nothing remains, for you, God wants to strip away all that's unfruitful so that your life can bear all the health and goodness and fruit that he's intended for you and for me all along. And as you might guess, the Holy Spirit gets to play a part in that as well, bringing conviction that leads to goodness. See, to the church in Galatia, Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter 5. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He said, against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
He said, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's a wonderful list. That's a beautiful list. That's a list of things that we can never have too much of and will never grow tired of. No one can ever be too full of peace. No, too, no one can be too full of joy, too full of kindness. No one can ever be too faithful or gentle or too self-controlled. That's why Paul says, against these things, there is no law. See, when someone is truly led and formed by the Holy Spirit of God, you don't really need any law to tell you what to do. And that's a beautiful thought. And that's what God wants to do in you. And that's what God wants to do in me. That's what God wants to form in you. And that's what God wants to form in me. So let's invite the Holy Spirit to do his thing, to bring the godly, good, healthy conviction that only he can bring. And let's watch as he strips away whatever he needs to strip away so he can shape us and form us into the men and women that we are called and created to be.